This is your host, Nick Osello, on my second episode involved with the SEALs. Today, we have the pleasure of welcoming President of the SEALs, Steve Govett. This guy does not mess around. Big fan of his work. Before that, and as always, this episode of SEALs Pod is brought to you by UC San Diego Health. UC San Diego Health is ranked number one in San Diego by U.S. News & World Report. Some would consider that a good thing. Number one generally is a good thing. And it's the official healthcare provider of the San Diego SEALs. Thank you to UCSD Health. I think it's worth noting that this was a pretty ridiculous past weekend for the SEALs. Scraping together a post-COVID world, a post-COVID roster, getting everybody, this ragtag team, up to Sask, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and beating Western Conference rival the Rush. I mean, that's that's a pretty incredible story that I don't think was talked about enough. I'm very glad that I was able to sit down with Steve and go through the nitty-gritty of the back end and grit work that went into it. So without further ado, we will kick it over to my interview with President of the SEALs, Steve Govett. Welcome to the second ever episode of SEALs Pod. We have a very special guest. Tim and I actually go pretty far back now that we're getting pretty old. Um, but we have Steve Govett on as our honoree, uh, the big cheese, as he goes by. Um, Steve, thank you for joining. Really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Nick. Can we just confirm that we've had plenty of SEAL podcasts? It's just this is your second podcast? Yeah, this is plenty of SEALs podcast. This is my that, second. Like world Life didn't start with Nick Asello joining the SEALs. Are you sure? Well, it I almost mean, it ended for you, but almost ended that anyway. One. <laughs> moving on. All right. Already starting off putting me in my place. And for those uh for those curious, just like we had Patrick Merrill on for my first episode, not the SEALs first episode, my first episode. It's gonna be really interesting recording a podcast with my boss. Um, so if I don't chirp as much as I normally do, just know it's because my tail is between my legs already right off well, the, the bat. The good news is you can chirp all you want. It's I won't fire you until after the podcast, so you can say whatever you want on the podcast. All right. Well, I mean, I feel like I'm walking into a trap, which I will politely decline. You're playing chess and I'm, a, you know, playing checkers and eating crayons. <laughs> well, well, we'll just dive into it because I'm, uh, you know, now that I'm actually located in San Diego and kind of a part of the day to day going ons in the office, um, I'm shocked and it was a Herculean effort to pull off this game um, against Sask this past weekend. Um, I just kind of want to get your initial thoughts. So of course, everybody's heard it a million times in these trying times in COVID and this and that, what are some of your initial reactions when players start testing positive, knowing that it's going to impact a game? Well, I think we've prepared ourselves over the course of 20 months that any of this could happen at, at kind of any given day. And, and so the one thing we told ourselves through this, you know, early stages of this season is that we're going to face adversity. Uh, we're going to have to remain nimble uh, and, and that we're going to, we're going to be prepared to, to face kind of all sorts of what might come. And, and one of the things that, that we remain massively grateful that we actually get to play uh, because we watched a lot of other leagues um, compete a couple times, two seasons in the midst of the time where we couldn't. Um, so I think, I think you have to recognize that. And part of it is you have to set the stage to say whatever it takes, right. And whatever it takes on behalf of our partners in the national lacrosse league, whatever it takes, 
uh, for the SEALs, uh, we're going to find a way. And I think that's a philosophy and a vision that we started with. And when I say we, I talk about uh, myself and Patrick Merrill on behalf of the team operations. Uh, Sean Walsh, obviously, is the assistant GM. Uh, and, and Josh Gross is a VP of business operations. Um, we kind of resolved very early with Joe that, uh, our owner, Joe Ty, that we're going to find a way. And, uh, and so all the credit, you know, to Patrick Merrill and, and his group uh, to be able to, to pull off the Saskatchewan game. And, and there's a lot of background stories. So I'm curious because that's a, I would say that that answer can kind of generally apply to most teams as far as staying nimble on your feet, finding a way. Is there anything in particular, whether it was from your kind of strategy, maybe your problem solving or even your problem forecasting that might differ logistically being located in Southern California with, you know, California restrictions being tighter than Texas, but being looser than Canadian restrictions potentially? Like what separated the SEALs as far as them being able, you know, us being able to pull off a game like this? And would other teams, given our position, be able to do the same? Yeah, I mean, look at Panther City, right? And, and Panther City and what they were able to do this weekend to pull off their very first win uh, against similar kind of COVID odds, if you will. They, they had a number of players that were out, and I'm sure they approached it in a very similar way. So yeah, I wouldn't suggest that we did anything differently. I think that we, you, you really prepare and, you know, kind of prepare yourself for the mindset that, you know, you're going to have COVID cases or you're going to have, you know, I mean, we had, we had some weird injuries that kind of happened just before, you know, this game happened. So we were going to have to adjust with quality starters that were out, right. And guys like uh, Casey Jackson, who, while he went on the COVID protocol, ultimately hurt himself in training at home in Victoria, right? And then um, Drew Belgrave, who, who's got this just kind of a weird leg injury that, that we thought was kind of non-invasive and then all of a sudden became like, you know, he can't play in a game. And that, so that's, that's shocking from an injury perspective that you have to deal with. Um, but then again, you start to pile up the COVID cases. And I think where it really started was and kind of where the light bulb comes off and answer to your question is early in the process of COVID, we started to develop our ability to try and get as many guys living in San Diego as possible. Um, one might say that's not a hard sell, you know, <laughs> but the commitment to making sure that we're, uh, you know, making sure that we had a number of guys allows us to mitigate a little bit of the issues because a San Diego is somewhat more resistant to the virus. And I just say that somewhat because much of our life is spent outside in San Diego. Um, that being said, I think our numbers are comparable to other cities. Uh, but we're in a scenario where getting more guys living in the marketplace allowed us to move people from one location rather than multiple locations. Now, that doesn't always kind of play itself out, but you know, the Saskatchewan December 31st postponement of the game came kind of close um, to that game on, on like a Tuesday before we were supposed to play that Friday. Um, so postponing the game is not hard. Hey, we're not going, uh, but understanding the quick restart from the league and from Saskatchewan and us to 
reschedule that game, get it announced so that we could begin to prepare to get there. Um, we began those preparations kind of immediately following uh, the, the restarter or reschedule of that game, which then turned into, okay, we're moving players around the country to get there. So, um, and then ultimately when you start to get the cases, it, you flip the switch a little bit and you're just changing names on itineraries. So I'm, I'm actually really curious about this. Of course, it's relatively easy to say, okay, we were planning for this. We're going to have to stay nimble on our feet when those name changes on the itinerary and when games get canceled, um, are you throwing stuff around the off? Do you give yourself five minutes of anger or is it just kind of like right on to the next one? Cause if I'm in your shoes, there's probably something being thrown once a week, but getting right back to it afterwards. Yeah. Look, I mean, I think what we've come to understand is things are going to happen and no, I mean, I'm, I'm not upset. It's more like just put your head down and get it done. I mean, I do think that the people that were in the trench, literally Patrick Merrill finding guys to sign and finding players that would help us execute a game, right? Just, just put a team on the field. And then Sean Walsh executing those names to get them to, you know, to move the bodies around the chessboard to, to get them to Saskatchewan to play. Um, and the number of moving parts, right. From a, from airline, you know, travel, per diems, hotels, Especially going to all Sass that stuff too. to signing guys to a contract to getting them, co you know, physicals to getting COVID tested to, you know, which has become kind of the biggest challenge is COVID testing in Canada, as you may or may not know, is really scarce. It's hard to find the required PCR tests. The, the fact that that rescheduled game was in Canada was a huge bonus for us because what we were required to get tested for local players or domestic travelers is less intrusive than what has to happen in order to move players across a border. So the guys that are in the U S that have to move into Canada, yes, we had to get them PCR tests, but we were getting them in the U S where those tests are easier to acquire. So yeah, man, no, you don't have time to get upset. <laughs> I was going to say, it just seems like, I mean, not that we have much hair to light on fire, but it seems like everyone's just running around with their hair on fire. Well, I'm not, I take zero credit in this. I watched in awe two people do a job that you know in sean walsh and patrick merrill i can't say enough about what those two guys did to be able just just to get us there to play talking about patty merrill a little bit how far like how big of a board do you have to go down to where you can feel the team in you know kind of like emergency emergency situations like this was there already a good bulk of guys because when you get guys that pop it's not exactly like you have your number one guy you know logistically even if it was your number one guy that can easily travel so how far kind of to the bottom of the barrel that we could scrape and i'll preface that question with everybody that was new i mean to travel and get a win is fantastic so you know not even trying to chirp anyone but well the win the win was getting there and playing the game that was the win. Um, but the, the fact that we, we 
takeaway a win out of that process was I think was one of and 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 I've go I'll go back a lot of years in this league um, and I put our first win in Seals history up uh, as one of the greatest wins in in my career um, and I'll put this one right next to that one and as a as a memorable and never forget type of event to be involved in and and again whether we won or lost that game, it was certainly just, I was so proud of our, our team and our people. Um, our owner, Joe and I actually got to the game up in Saskatchewan. Um, you know, Hannah Kosh, who works uh, with our guys on PR and communications is just, you know, she's an incredible, incredible asset to us. Um, you know, I, I just can't say enough about how that pulled off, but, but literally I don't think they had to, I don't want to say scrape the bottom of the barrel because they didn't, but if you look at the transactions for the most part, the real true like quality of this in what Patrick did was he activated a lot of guys that he cut in training camp, right? He didn't really, other than, than Justin Getty, the goalie, mm-hmm. he didn't really go outside the seal sphere of influence to sign players to play. Mm-hmm. Um, these guys were in our camp. Um, they're on an inactive list because they couldn't play. And he actually, you know, people say, well, wh- why are they on an inactive list if they're not playing? And it's, he literally had to convince guys to play that were committed to not playing the season. Mm-hmm. And maybe they only had to commit to one game. Right. And Tyson Bomberry is a great example of a guy that isn't playing because, um, you know, of family reasons and a job, but one time he could play, right? Um, You know, the the number of other young men that Patrick has a relationship with that he can call upon them in a pinch, that's a testament to he cut these guys and they were willing to come back and play for him to get a shot, to get a chance, to do whatever, because they want to be a part of this organization they want to be a part of, of Patrick Merrill's team. They love the, these coaches. Um, they love the vibe that we have created. And you know what? I'm proud of them for, for just being able to kind of put those bodies in Saskatchewan and be able to play. Now, the wind was, a, you know, kind of gravy, right? It was the, it was the whipped cream on top. But um, just to pull that off on behalf of the National Cross League and on behalf of uh, and making sure that we honored the covenant to the schedule and our commitment to, to the league and to, to Saskatchewan to play that game. That's what we were committed to do. And we did it. So speaking of scraping the bottom of the barrel, was my name ever brought up? You got to be honest here. Um, well, I brought it up <laughs> oh, you know, because the I love dream you. lives on. I brought it up, but it was, uh, it was, you know, fairly quickly scratched off the list when I brought it up with man- with team management. Oh, I don't think so. You know, I, I think there's a, you know, there's a coup, there's a blackballing going on. Um, I'm launching an investigation into it and I'm going to get to the bottom of it. So just, you should you know, do that. If I'm bringing a magnifying glass around the office, just know that's what I'm looking for. But 
everybody that played played a pretty damn good game. Um, you know, catching up with some of the players after the game, they were like, yeah, you know, we didn't know how good people were going to know the defense, how good some new players were going to integrate into transition uh, communication wise. And I think across the board, everybody did a pretty good job. Now, I don't want you to put words into Patrick Merrill's mouth, but you, Steve Govett, watching this game, how difficult of a decision does it make for some of these guys that are under the SEAL sphere of influence that got this call back to maybe bring them on uh, in a bigger role moving forward, knowing that they're ready to step up at any time? Yeah, you know what? That's a good question, and I, I, I'll let Patrick manage that. But the, the great part about it is in the moment, uh, you saw a bunch of people come together to, to rally around you know, kind of a, a, an issue and, and rally around a team that they didn't have any business or didn't have any kind of affinity to, to rally around. And I, I, I continue to go back to that's the quality of you treat, you treat people right. Um, even in adversity, you treat people right when you're um, having to part ways with them and you, and you, you be respectful of that. And, and ultimately, you know, it's a long world, right. And, uh, if you treat people correctly, you treat people the right way, chances are they're willing to pick up that phone when you call again. Couldn't agree more. Um, so chance for you to give a shout out. I know you don't generally comment on, you know, players or decisions, of course not. Anybody that particularly surprised you um, that you just want to uh, say, hey, you answered the call and you actually came out and played a pretty damn good game. Yeah, I mean, every one of them, right? I mean, obviously. Yeah, but. The young goaltender, um, Getty, you know, wow, what can you say, right? That, like, this kid gets a call and he's, you know, he's got to go tell work that, hey, I, um, I'm getting my shot, which I think <laughs> is a quote. I, I'm getting my shot. I got to take Friday off. Um, and I don't know where he works, but credit to his boss. You know, here's my shout out. I'll give a shout out to Justin Getty's boss of saying, yes, um, did, we'll give you a shot. So, and did you see his wink at the end of the interview? I did. That's I, a I veteran was, kid right there. Yeah, veteran or not. But either way, he uh, I, I just appreciate the fact that he like he cared enough. I, I think that the one takeaway that I have pretty significantly and, and I'll talk about a couple other guys, but uh, the takeaway that I have is that players around North America are willing to drop everything and play in the national lacrosse league. We've gotten to a point in our kind of history where um, they're ready to play and they're, you know, they want a shot and they want an opportunity to play and getting drafted in this league means something and, and getting a chance to play in this league means something. And, and people care about what we're doing. So uh, I appreciate that greatly. Um, that's a lot of hard work by a lot of good people that have gone into that. So credit to, to a lot of years of a lot of hard work from a lot of teams and, and the, the people around those teams. Um, so good for them. But, you know, the Boy Salt kid, I, I was pretty impressed with the kid of his stature stepping up and, and facing off against the Mike Messenger and, and making some of the quality decisions that he made in a lot of situations where he was calling for guys to, hey, I should, should probably shouldn't be matched up on, on Mark Matthews. He's a little bit oversized for me um let's switch here right like just the wherewithal for a young player that's never played in the leg in the to understand that he needs to get out of the way and defer to somebody that maybe has 
you know, and, and not be a hero in that situation. So him, um, the Devin by Maya kid who we've been kind of anxiously awaiting his return. So where COVID closes a door, it also opened another one. He's a hockey player and has been playing in this hockey league that is now shut down in Canada because of COVID their season's over. So he's sitting there waiting to play and just happened to, because Canada shuts down his hockey league, he's ready to play. And a kid stepped in and played like a veteran. So he fought beers too. That's I mean, that takes around? some stones. What, what's that? Just stepping in and scrapping with beers. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty, uh, pretty sizable fight. Well, I think, yes, the fight was important, but I think the decision for him when a guy like Westberg, one of our assistant captains, leader on a team, um, takes a hit like he took in that situation and, you know, whatever we look at it as, whether it's questionably high or legal or whatever the case may be, whether it was legal, um, that can answer the bell. He was right there. He was on the faceoff team um, and he went over and, and literally, you know, credit to Beers. Beers answered the bell and Devin Maia answered the bell. And, and he, the kid also had a number of fast breaks and good shots and played really well out the back door. Um, so, you know what? Lots of positives out of that. Um, and there was a number of guys we could shout out to, but I, I really was impressed by those three. Got it. Uh, and I think you mentioned it. Well, I know you did, but it was a pretty chippy game. A lot of questionable. Was it a little high? Was it a little late? You know, was there an elbow in the jaw? everything like that. Um, you said that a win was just getting there and playing the game, but how electric was the locker room after the actual victory to kind of bad news bears your way into a phenomenal win on the road, uh, guys answer in the call and then you come away with a victory. Uh, was the locker room, everything that I'm picturing in my mind, it was because I heard Joe Sai had some pretty, uh, pretty, pretty electric, electric words. I mean, it was pretty electric. I mean, it, it was, it was pretty awesome to be in that room um, for the short time that I was there. And um, again, you go back to, I don't want to overplay the moment, but you know, do it. you win championships uh, and the reaction is pretty strong and pretty heartfelt. And, and that felt, and I, you know, Saskatchewan guys would probably say, well, yeah, you guys acted like you won the Super Bowl." Um, but for us in that moment, um, one of the biggest wins in our franchise's history. Mm, love that. This podcast is brought to you by knock around sunglasses. That's knock around sunglasses. Knock around is the original affordable sunglasses company head to knockaround.com and pick up a great pair of polarized shades for about 30 bucks. That ain't going to break the bank. It's a great product. Go over and check them out. Back to the interview with Steve. So I'm curious as far, not knowing much about how the league is structured and how much influence the league has versus individual team logistics, have the SEALs kind of set a precedent or maybe de facto changed, uh, you know, kind of the standard for making games work? Um, you know, players testing positive, a game in Sask, all different kinds of logistical questions surrounding this game. You going up and actually executing and getting a team on the floor to perform. Does that have any sway for the rest of the league moving forward? And you guys can kind of be like, Hey, listen, look what we did time for you to step up. 
you know, I mean, I'd, I'd like to tell you that, yeah, sure. Um, but the bottom line is this, every team is responsible for themselves. Um, I, I can only hope that we can be held up as an example to, to make sure that we're executing as many games and that we don't allow for an excuse to shut down again uh, in the midst of kind of adversity, right? And make no mistake, we faced adversity. Fort Worth, you know, the Panthers faced adversity, uh, you know, and but we're all facing adversity right now. And I think uh, it's just, a, it's a test of your character to kind of make sure that you're stepping up and, and honoring the commitment that we've all made to each other as teams in this league, honoring the commitment that we've made um, to uphold, and I've used this term, the covenant of the schedule. And the schedule is our is our bond to each other um, as teams and partners that, you know, if you're suggested you're going to play, that's what you do. And the show must go on, if you will. And um, I'm proud of what we did that day and, and hopefully we'll carry ourselves into the future. And hopefully we find that Omicron is, uh, you know, subsiding. Um, I think that's, that's what, the predictors are, are showing. And, and so hopefully, you know, we're putting some of this behind us and we've had a ton of cases this week after Saskatchewan. And so with a bye week coming up, thank you very much schedule makers. Um, we're going to be in a situation where we turn around and hopefully we will have had, had our, our team pass through Omicron and have everybody with more antibodies. Touching on the rest of the season, is there a game that kind of sticks out? And I know the prototypical answer of, you know, next game matters the most. Is there a game that you particularly are excited for? Maybe one that's circled on the calendar? Look, anytime you get a chance, Saskatchewan's going to have us circled on their schedule again, right? They're, they're not going to want to have that, that game go unavenged. And so coming back and playing us in, in San Diego will be an important one for them. So we're going to have to be prepared. Um, anytime Calgary comes to town or we go to Calgary, that's important. Um, obviously we've lost one game this year and that's the Vancouver and, and we feel like, you know, we can compete with that team. So, uh, you know, we're, we're going to feel obligated to get back out there again. And, you know, and, and Colorado, you know, Colorado is going to look at us and, uh, be upset about the way that last game went in Colorado that we played them. So every Western division game is, is important. And, you know, the top three teams in the West get in and we want to be one of the top two because we want to be hosting game number 10 in our barn and having somebody come to us uh, to play in the playoffs. So our goal focus, right. Way too early focus is to host a playoff game. And the only way you get to do that is if you're in the top two in your division. Got it. Um, well, that's, uh, <laughs> it's always funny. Cause I just want, you know, everybody wants the answer of like, Oh, this team just, you know, really pisses me off or anything like that. But, Every team. Yeah. Very diplomatic answer. Final thing that I'll ask uh, just like kind of regarding this season um, you obviously have a very storied history with the Colorado Mammoth. Um, any dynamics change? Is there any nostalgia, whether it's going back to Ball Arena or seeing the M logo, or is it just kind of, nope, I'm a SEALs guy through and through. Middle fingers to you. We're going to try and beat the brakes off of you. Yes. I mean, 
Um, I think early on when we first came here, there was some nostalgia and, but look, they've moved on. Um, and you know, it's not like they're, you know, hanging my name in the rafters and in ball arena. So, you know, that's mine. Yeah. I, I do want to beat the brakes off them every time we play them. Um, doesn't discount the fact that there's a lot of guys on that team that, that I drafted into the national lacrosse league or traded to get, or, or whatever the case may be. And, and I feel very strongly about them personally. Um, you know, I happen to love Dylan Ward. I think he's a, one of my favorite humans in the whole world. Um, you know, Pat Coyle, I, we have a long history together and uh, I think the world of them. Um, but you know what, like, again, they're not lighting a candle for Steve Govett in, uh, in ball arena. So fuck them. Let's go. Who do you like more me or Dylan Ward? You are d- definitely Dylan Ward. <laughs> okay. Just making not sure that we're close. staying honest. Not even close. Fair. Listen, I'm just looking for an honest answer. I'm making sure that, you know, that that's a layup. That's more of a litmus test. Um, so I think that's, uh, that's pretty good on the seal season, kind of how we pulled it off against Sask. Is there any kind of like final, maybe stories that flew under the radar? Um, I know you already gave a shout outs to Sean Walsh, Hannah Kosh, Patrick Merrill, um, kind of everybody on the back end. Was there any like particular moment that stood out that might not have gotten discussed um, in preparation for the game? <laughs> Little tidbits. You know what? I, I would only say that there was a moment maybe Thursday morning before Patrick was about to get on the plane uh, where he and I, you know, we had a call and, you know, sometimes, sometimes when you have a relationship as close as Patrick and I do, you know, one guy is more down than the other guy. And one guy has to buck the other guy up, you know, prop him up and say, Hey, I got your back. Uh, and I'm not going to go into who was bucking up who, uh, but that call took place Thursday morning. And you know what? I'm not going to tell you there were any tears because there weren't, but it was hard. It was a tough call. I mean, we were in a situation where it was like, Hey man, I need your help. And I need, you know, I need you to, I need your support right now. And like I said, I'm not going to tell you who said that, but um, we support each other through, and, and it just, those are the moments that serve to create the, the stronger bond um, between anybody you work with on a team. And, you know, it's easy to be good teammates when times are simple, right? When, when everything's going your way, it's easy to be um, good teammates. I think where you become the best of teammates is in the adversity is in, you know, kind of the, the ice storm of, of challenges that you might have. Um, and that's where you forge the, the greatest relationships in sports and in business and across the board. I think ultimately it's when the proverbial shit hits the fan. Um, it's like, who's standing next to you? Who are you shoulder to shoulder with? I got to imagine you and Patty are right there knee deep in shit, huh? Sometimes. <laughs> Good. Well, glad you two, uh, glad you two have the support system. You do. We can move on to a little bit lighter of a note. Um, yeah, let's do that. So for those unaware, Steve and I are pickleball partners on the odd occasion. 
And I want you, this is kind of a little 30 seconds. Could you critique me as a pickleball partner, strengths, weaknesses, um, and would you sign me in the pro pickleball league? Uh I have a great admiration for your exuberance for the pickleball game. Um, I have, a, I think you're an excellent player. Uh, <laughs> That's news I, to me I, for the record. You no, I, I, I truly believe that you try very hard and <laughs> you're a, you're a passionate pickleballer. Um, <laughs> keeping in mind that I'm relatively new to the sport. I've only played pickleball twice. Um, you know, I would say that even though I've only paid pickleball twice, um, you do take it upon yourself to do a lot of coaching, um, when maybe you should focus on your own game, but you know, like you, if anybody knows the bad news bears and Kelly leak, I'm kind of like the kid the the snot nose kind of, you know, snot running down his nose kid in left field that's holding his glove up lupus. I think his name is holding his glove up to catch a ball. And you're Kelly leak running in front of me and catching it in front of me. Do you think that maybe if you were maybe open up some of that wall that you've built in front of you and accept the coaching, do you think that would foster some better play moving forward? Well, perhaps, but I don't want to. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, what else? Like, Outside of pickleball. You also have to remember I'm an old man that just had knee surgery that I can't move very well. And so there are times when I greatly appreciate you streaking in front of me to hit every ball. And then there are other times when I think I, you know, I want to hit it once like in a game to, you know, whatever we play to 11, I would just like to hit the ball one time. All right. I'll listen. There's a lot of gray area. It's not a black and white situation. I think there's a lot of room to, uh, to move forward. You are significantly better than me at ping pong outside of pickleball. What, uh, what generally are your hobbies? You have a day off. What do you like to do? I like to golf. Are you a good golfer? You stick. Um, you know, golf is a relative game, right? It's like. It's a straightforward you game too. Good. It's, it's a massively humbling game that can kind of rip your guts out at any particular point in time. But I will say this, I have the great fortune to get to play with guys like uh, Cam Holding, um, Westberg, Mike Grace is kind of a regular foursome that we have during the off season. Uh -huh. And uh, what I greatly appreciate about those guys is they just hit the piss out of the ball. And I'm just an old guy and I just bunt the ball. Right. Uh -huh. I just kind of bunt the ball down the middle. Like just um, 150, 200 yards at a time. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not a long ball hitter like these guys are, but um, so I, I appreciate watching the prowess that they bring to the table to hit the ball two or 300 yards, sorry, 300 yards off the tee. And then there's part of me that absolutely loves watching them putt. Um, because they're so colossally bad at putting that <laughs> I, was... I can usually keep a game close because I can putt. So, um, you know, in case one or two guys are listening that I get to play with every once in a while, um, I do love to watch those guys putt. Get in their head. Do you, uh, do you talk shit on the course? I don't, but while I watch really? them putt, it's kind of like a, you know, a monkey humping a football sometimes watching them. <laughs> 
putt. So. There hasn't been a more beautiful description of golf in my entire life, a monkey humping a football. Last, uh, last couple questions. So uh, again, reflecting on my box experience doesn't take very long. It takes about five minutes in total. Um, I'm curious, given your long tenure involved in the NLL, what are some of the funniest mistakes that Americans consistently make? Because my funniest moment was the first time I got picked and cracked my rib and was complaining about a moving pick and everybody on the floor pretty much told me to shut the hell up. You stupid American go home. Any, uh, anything I, that you I, just have noticed? Yeah. I mean, I think defensively it's, it takes a while to pick up the game. The one thing I think that I, you kind of shake your head at is the midfielder that you sign that, um, runs down the alley with his stick on the outside and drops the three quarter kind of head of his stick down to here mm -hmm. and tries to rip it as hard as he can. And then all of a sudden misses the net high usually because that's where they shoot off the back glass, off the side glass, and then rolls out in front. So guys like Brody Merrill can run onto a breakaway. Mikey Schlosser on the first practice. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a number of guys. Like I just, the, the, Dodge down the alley, big shot, usually over the net, off the back wall, <laughs> off the side wall. It's like, I don't know, man. It's it's a it's a like you you couldn't you can't script it any better because every every um, training camp it happens at least three or four times. These guys get out there and you know, um, but again, it goes back to how are you drafting players right like if you're drafting you know kind of the the dodging midfielder who dodges from the top and goes down the alley and rips the shot and looks really good my, my sense of and this is a little more technical than you wanted to be with a little lighter but american guys or sorry field across or american field across players tend to be amazing athletes and but it's a different game and i think in, in outdoor lacrosse you get rewarded for failure and so American shooters will shoot as hard as they can with their eyes closed. And if they miss the net, they get the ball back because chances are they got a backup back there. And so Canadian guys, if you do that, the ball bounces off the wall, bounces again, and, and it's in the stick of, of a really good transition player who can score. And so kids don't do that, right? They get taught that the better shot is, you know, pull it out, uh, just, you know, deceive the shooter. You don't have to shoot as hard, you know? So there's just different nuances to the game that I find funny at when the light bulb goes off over the player's head as to when he figures it out. I, I love that too. The, especially like teaching the young guys, like, you know, fourth, fifth graders and just hammering home. Hey, you do not have to use your left hand on a split dodge. Uh, I, I yeah. promise. Well, the, the other thing, Nick is funny because, if this is, this is a technical thing, American players, for the most part, fake with their bottom hand, they throw the bottom hand out there to fake and Canadians fake with their head and the top of their stick. And it's just interesting to watch different players play the different game. So the box, the box skills actually translate a little bit better when it comes to scoring and finishing then the field, right? The, so the, the box player trans, translates a little bit more to outdoor 
then the outdoor skills translate to indoor. So it's a bit of a harder transition. In infinity percent, the, you know, a good outdoor player can step on and play outdoor, going to struggle in indoor. A good indoor player can play any type of lacrosse, even like sixes, watching, you know, the crafty guys play sixes. It's just, you know, I'm glad I'm not playing anymore. Um, final question. You know, the interesting, the interesting guy, yeah. hey, Nick, the interesting guys that actually make the transition faster have started to become the short stick D midi. It's a valuable are able to position. play in a, you know, kind of an intricate help side off or like defense and then transition the ball. Those are the guys that are figuring out the game pretty well. I'm not sure where you played in college. I think you were a short stick D midi, weren't you? Uh, varied senior year. I was mostly O, but throughout the years I was playing that kind of defensive transition role. Yeah. But you know, I, Wheat Ridge didn't exactly groom me from a genius tactical X's and O's. So I was just kind of running around with my hair on fire for four years. I guess you should have played in the junior mammoth league when you were a kid. I got cut. I tried out for the junior mammoth and I didn't make the team. Oh, I don't know who the coach was. Yeah, well, I have a strongly worded letter from my mother from that time for them. <laughs> Last question. Uh, I'll give you 30 seconds as we wrap this up. Uh, you allow me to be a broadcaster. I don't know if that's so that you can chirp me or if you actually think I'm doing a decent job, but 30 seconds to critique any of my broadcasting ability, mess ups, anything like that. And then we can wrap it up and I'll let you go. Absolutely. <laughs> I knew, I knew it. I knew it. No, absolutely. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And absolutely. Do you want to talk about the drinking game that you made me play? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so for those, I made a drinking game every time, every time Nick Asella says, absolutely. I drink. So and then everybody in the world dies of alcohol poisoning. Watching, when I'm watching Nick Asella do a game, but here's the bottom line. Joe Tsai wanted to hire you as the broadcast guy. I was totally opposed to it, but I said yes anyway. Well, that's nice. I'm and glad that I have ball. Joe in my – somebody's in my corner. Uh, you got, I mean, you got Joe in your corner. That's nice. That's a nice little treat. <laughs> but, oh, well, absolutely. 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 God. The uh, – I got to say, shout out Cooper. Cooper's the consummate professional who talks me off the ledge every single time I watch the game, and I'll text him, and I'm like, dude – I think not only do I need to quit, I think I need to change names and flee the country. He's like, yep, everybody goes through it. Let's get better. So shout out Cooper for understanding my flaws, accepting me for who I am and, uh, you know, telling me not to flee the country. So shout out Cooper. You know what? One of, look, there's a lot of really good, talented people that are doing games in the National Lacrosse League, but I got to give a lot of credit to Mitch Belisle. Like he's great. Belisle's killing it right now. I think he's doing a great job. I, I'm a huge Ryan Boyle fan in the outdoor league. And, you know, so Ryan Boyle does a nice job. And I think anytime, I think you're in your early stage, just like my pickleball career, right? I think your, your formative years of broadcasting, you've done two games. Um, I give you a ton of credit learning something completely new. Uh, I think you're doing a fine job and I think you're going to get absolutely better. And and I would continue to watch guys like Ryan Boyle and Mitch Belisle because uh, they've turned into consummate professionals. And Mitch Belisle is great. So I will uh, continue that little train of compliments. So Mitch, I'll probably tweet at you here in a little bit. Um, but thanks for, uh, thanks for showing me how to be less shitty at my job. 
You don't think he's actually going to watch this, do you, or listen to this? No, I'm going to clip it and, like, DM him. I'm going to make sure that he sees it or hears it. Make sure that you put the part in where I said he's really good. I will. And uh, and next time I'm excited to do this in person in the office. I think that's going to change a whole lot of dynamics and make it even more fun. Yeah, let's do that. Maybe a weekly. How about this? A little weekly check-in, like check-in, checking in with Steve. We could check in on our pickleball prowess. Yeah, we play once a week and then we just come in and bitch at each other about pickleball and it'll be the worst podcast anyone ever listened to. Exactly. Nobody (laughs) cares. Perfect. Well, thank you, Steve Govett. Really appreciate it. I will see you soon and uh, and enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Absolutely. Oh, God. Thank you.